Hi, this is Father Michael Dank for another episode of Praying with Priests. I'm here with Father Bill Byrne, and we're going to be interviewing him about his prayer life as he shares how he's come to know and love God. So thank you very much, Father Bill, for spending time with us. Sure, it's great. What I'd like to start off with is just tell us about yourself, what you're up to, and a little bit about your priesthood, and then we'll, we'll start talking about your life of prayer. Well, this is my 25th year of being a priest, so I'm uh, more in love with the Lord and more in love with the priesthood than I was um, even 25 years ago, and that's saying something because I was overjoyed then. I'm the pastor of a big suburban parish in Washington, D.C., in a place called Potomac, Maryland. Our Lady of Mercy. We have a school and an assisted living and a whole about couple thousand families and a lot going on. So um, I'm from the area. I grew up in this, I'm the youngest of eight kids from another suburb called McLean, Virginia. Uh, and so that's who I am. So youngest of eight. Growing up, what was your first memory of experiencing God? Well, I, I don't know if I have a first memory because my parents were both daily communicants. My mother's still alive. Uh, and so it was just part and parcel. You know, you got in the car on a trip and you said a prayer or we did some of the rosary or uh, it was just part of the air that we breathed was our faith experience. And uh, and so the I, I don't really have a memory of it not being there. It was just mm -hmm. always, always there. there. Yeah. And so... Interestingly, we, my family, my father, God rest his soul, was a doctor, and he, uh, so he had different call schedules. So, and my mom would be a Eucharistic minister, so we never went to Mass, or had to go to Mass, as a family. Mm -hmm. You just had to go. You rode your bike. It was kind of good, because I think it gave us ownership early on. Most people just inherit their faith, and uh, when we got older, you had to show up. We never had to go to Mass as a family, and so it was that uh, you, we owned it, I think, earlier on. When we got in high school, you had to show up with a bulletin <laughs> to make sure you had gone. Uh, but I, uh, I also had an uncle who was a priest from the Archdiocese of New York, and, and so that experience of priests in the family as a normal part of everyday uh, life was, was beneficial in that I never had... I always thought it was normal. Yeah. And also, growing up, my two best friends, they both were big lawyers in town. Uh, they were all, their dads were also uh, daily communicants. Mm. So I just grew up thinking, well, that's what dads do. Mm -hmm. Dads go to mass, mm -hmm. you know, and then before they go to work. Uh, and so that was, um, and so that also added to that sense of just faith and as a normal part of life. What was the like affective experience of that? Did you enjoy it? Was it boring? Was it just normal part of life? What was it, what was it like? I I don't remember it being boring. I do remember in high school. It was interesting in high school. A lot of times, my friends and I would meet on Sunday and go down to uh, a church in Georgetown, uh, Holy Trinity, at a Sunday five, and we'd go there, and then we'd all go out for burgers afterwards. And so it was part of a flow, I think, of growing up in a Catholic environment, in a Catholic culture. And um, certainly there were times I was, that I, it was boring, but I was also an altar server, so there was that to do. Mm -hmm. You know, when the homily was bad, then there was something entertaining about it. 
mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> engaging. Yes. And, um, you know, as you think back about your personal prayer life, um, how did you experience that as a child? Well, I remember, um, I remember always sort of having a relationship with the Lord and, um, and desiring prayer. Mm-hmm. And my one sister who uh, eventually, she's now a religious sister. She's a, a very interesting person. She's a, a surgeon and, uh, and a religious sister. And also had been in the army, so she's also a colonel. Um, but she, at one point, she was involved in a prayer group and a prayer movement that was uh, charismatic. Um, she's not anymore, but she had been at that time. And I remember going to these meetings when I was in junior high, maybe in high school, and witnessing people actively engaged in a spiritual encounter with the Lord. And uh, and so that impressed me in such a way that it always always had a desire for prayer in my life, albeit sort of immature. I remember trying to decide which of the two Catholic high schools I should go to. And uh, I played Bible bingo, mm-hmm. where you flip the Bible and you see what page. And so I ended up going to Georgetown Prep based on whatever finger my landed, you know, what verse my finger landed on. So yeah. it, I would hardly call it mystical in any sense. But uh, and then in college, I knew that I had uh, I'd gone to a, a regular college, Holy Cross, um, and I had this, and I was having a lot of fun. So it wasn't like I was a choir boy by any sense of the word, but it, it was part of a Catholic culture that most everyone went to Mass on, mm-hmm. on Sundays, which was nice. I don't know if it's still the case that way. But I, I remember thinking about priesthood, so I asked one of the priests to um, to lead me in spiritual direction, and they had a very effective retreat uh, that was led by one of the Jesuits, and so... Uh, and so we had experiences where we went on, it was a good solid four-day silent retreat for a college student. Mm-hmm. It's remarkable. Um, and I think then, sort of in a very rudimentary way, my experience of prayer was sort of trying to do stuff. It was more like trying to figure out the system of prayer as opposed to like just realizing it's a relationship. Yeah. So I... Uh, when I went to um, seminary, I uh, and you, we had a spiritual direction every two weeks. That's where I started to really realize this is about relationship and my conversion. And and as that happens, then that's like Paul, where the scales fall from your eyes a little bit, and and you realize that it's a movement of the heart mm-hmm. and not just a. A performing sort of actions that look prayerful, mm-hmm. or like doing your breviary or reading, right, you right, know, right. but having the scriptures actually speak to you and recognizing this this is uh, a privileged encounter that's unique to you with the Lord desiring to to have you be with Him. Did they teach you that in the seminary? Yeah, we did, and we had. Uh, we had excellent spiritual formation. I think I had that my spiritual director was a guy named George Ashen, or he is, he's not my current spiritual director, but a Jesuit named George Ashenbrenner, who's ah, a yeah. notable mm-hmm. uh, writer and uh, director of the spiritual exercises. And then in early priesthood, 
I did, uh, I've had the same spirit trajectory for 25 years, so that really helps in the mm -hmm. sense that, and I do think spiritual direction is a key part of like growing in the Lord, because it's easy to miss things yeah, yourself. Yeah. And so, um, early priesthood, I, I did the annotation 19, which is the spiritual exercise of St. Ignatius for those that can't take 30 days away. Right. And so I met with my spiritual director uh, weekly and committed to this hour of prayer. And that began uh, a much more um, formalized experience of doing the holy hour, um, which is not to say that, that, that I've kept and I do a holy hour every day. Mm -hmm. That's how I begin my day. And yeah. it's not. Uh, and once you do, when you commit yourself to doing it every day, at first, for those of who might find that daunting, it, it seems like a holy two hours, you know, the time goes slower. Mm -hmm. And then as you get into it, it seems like a holy five minutes, right. you know, yeah. it just the time flies. Um, and, and you find yourself craving for more. You end up going back in the afternoon when you, mm -hmm. you know, your appointment cancels or whatever and having a visit with the Lord. One of the things um, I talk about often is Carl Rahner says that um, in the days ahead we'll either become mystics or we'll, de we'll despair. And he talks about mystic as one who has experienced God for real. Mm. Sounds like you've had those experiences. Oh, you yeah. know, if you think about during your 19th annotation or during your four-day retreat, can you tell us a little bit about maybe a memory or two of where God became real for you or that personal relationship? That moment, um, I'm trying to think of of a time where I think it was more like cooking the frog. I don't remember a moment mm -hmm. where there was a uh, an aha moment. I mean, I had certain experiences of deep consolation and and they were uh, profound and and so I remember, you know, I think probably the the most one of the prominent ones that I remember is I was I worked for three years in between graduating from college and uh, entering seminary. I went to my mom and dad, and I said I'm thinking about being a priest. And my dad, whose older brother was a priest, was kind of watered up and could think of nothing greater. My mom said I was young. I had gone into college at 17, um, and she said, you know, I'd love to have a son who's a priest. I'd hate to have one who was a priest. She said, why don't you give yourself a little time? And, mm. and she was wise. Uh, and uh, that she understood that maybe I needed a little growing up to do. And mm -hmm. so I, I taught school for three years. <clears throat> and in that time, entered into more formalized uh, spiritual direction in, in, as a layman. And, and it, it crystallized something. And during that time, I'd gone on a trip with my parents to Lourdes in France, and and I, while I was there, we we all scattered, and then we made a plan to visit in the lower chapel, the crypt there. And I went in and sat down and hadn't realized that there was Eucharistic adoration going on. And I looked up and I saw the uh, our Lord in the monstrance, and and then he took out a baseball bat and smacked me on the head and said, "I'm real. Mm. This is all real." And that 
two things happened there. It, it led me definitively towards the seminary, but it also anchored my spirituality and my prayer in the Holy Eucharist. So I, I almost, we have a, I've started Eucharistic adoration of some kind or another in each place where I've been assigned as a pastor or, uh, so here we have Eucharistic adoration in between the masses. So we have a holy hour every day that people can participate in. And that's typically where I do my holy hour. Mm. Uh, I've been, um, do it and I, and I do it for several reasons. I think it's good to pray with the people. I think it's good for people to see their pastor mm -hmm. and prayer. Um, and I think, and not that I'm doing it for any showy reasons, I just think it helps them and encourages them to say, yeah, this is all very doable. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, it, my, my holy hour is almost always, unless I'm traveling, is in front of the Blessed Sacrament. Mm -hmm. And why not? Mm -hmm. He's there. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> you know, he's really, truly there, body, blood, soul, and divinity. Mm -hmm. so. so tell me about the transition of, um, you know, going from that time into the seminary and then beginning, you know, to, to have a more formalized prayer life. Well, I think I'm a, I'm a pretty... A uh, big extrovert. Okay. And so I'm used to having people around, you know, youngest, big family. I think the hardest, scariest thing for me was silence. Mm. And, and just going to silence, being in silence, learning to confront my own thoughts. And uh, noise makes that all go away mm -hmm. and so um, but the only way to hear the lord is in silence mm -hmm. and if we take out the earbuds and turn off the radio or give ourselves periods of, of time of quiet prayer that's the only way for uh this to be possible mm -hmm. and so I, that was by far the biggest challenge for me was was entering into quietude and sort of transversing the sort of long, dry plane of loneliness. Mm. Uh, and and only when you enter into that do you find like what Dorothy Day called the long loneliness, that it's the place then where the Lord can fill you. So you can't, the Lord can't fill you if you're not willing to admit that it's there. Mm -hmm. That we've been, you know, have we were born with restless hearts and they will only rest in Christ. Mm. And as Augustine says, and, uh, and, but sometimes we prefer to just be restless because then you don't have to confront that, the real source of the, the God-sized space in our lives, in our homes, in our hearts. And so I think that was, uh, and now it's funny because I go to prayer like somebody slipping into a tub after coming from a, hot day, a cold day, you know, out in doing work and then you relax. It's for me now, silence is, uh, it's something I crave. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So when I do my annual retreat, I, I much prefer to do it in a place where it's all silence. You're only talking to a director. Mm -hmm. So what would be your advice to somebody that struggles with silence? Um, and hasn't really heard or experienced the voice of God. Well, I think part of the 
part of the experience. I often think of um, think of this as a metaphor for our our spiritual life. Imagine walking in. You, we go into the the local mall to go to pick something up at the store, and as we're riding the escalator, suddenly a, a, a song plays that we like on the piped-in music. And previous to that, to noticing that, we hadn't even realized there was music playing. Mm -hmm. And then something broke in, and we are able to then then we're conscious of it. Well. The sweet music of God's grace is playing around us constantly. And its prayer is about giving ourselves the time and the space to actually hear it. Mm -hmm. I think that part of the reason that people might not experiencing God is not that, that God's not talking to them. It's that we just don't open up our ears to hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once you start doing it, I'm a big believer. God, I believe in the God wings. If I'm thinking this and I call somebody and they pop into my head, it's almost always, I, I was just thinking of you or something like that. The God is constantly, the more we tune ourselves in faith to his being outside, inside, all around, uh, then we start to experience it ever more um, and we become more attuned to it and you're able to sort of stand in awe and wonder every day. Mm. Um, I just think of here's an, uh, uh, an obvious, well, here's an example. I went on my retreat this summer and I, before I left, my spiritual director and I were talking. He said, you know, I think if I were you, I'd start with Romans 5.5, 5, which is hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. I was like, okay, that's good. We were talking about that. I went and was in a monastery in California, and I requested to just meet with one of the monks a couple of times just to keep myself focused. Mm-hmm. And we chatted for a few minutes. He said, you know, I think I would start with Romans 5.5. 5. <laughs> I'm like, okay, God, I get it. I guess that's where you want me to go. Mm-hmm. And so I spent five, six days on one sentence. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the love of God. And so it's just... I think it's a matter of just opening our hearts and then you start to see it, mm-hmm. start to see him. Mm-hmm. You spent five days on one sentence. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about that a little bit. Well, it just was a matter of, of um, I believe that one of the real spiritual gifts that is in, that, that the Lord has blossomed in me, you know, we receive the gifts of faith, hope, and love in our baptism. And I believe that he gave me a, a, a capacity to really bring hope. Mm. Uh, and I feel like it's a, it's a charism of hopefulness that I'm sort of embracing now, um, 25 years into priesthood. And, and I think part of it came through this year of crisis. Uh, we had, uh, you know, the, our, the crisis of the hierarchy, the, people's disappointment and anger, all that's gone on this year. And I have believed since this first, I remember taking to prayer last summer and it seems like every headline was worse than the next. Yeah, yeah. And I, uh, I'm just waiting for the next shoe to drop. And I went to the Lord with this heaviness of heart and he just spoke in my heart. He's in my heart. He said, I have this. 
I have this. So I, this is my work of purifying. I have this. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, well, what am I worried about? I just have to make sure that I'm bringing the good into every possible situation I can and helping people understand that the Lord is, that the Lord does have this. Mm -hmm. And if we follow him, then, uh, then great things will happen mm. and great things are happening. So that building on that experience of that gift, hope does not disappoint. Mm. The Lord was just confirming in me um, through my experience of his priesthood in my life, my experience of his, uh, his tender care, all of this. So it just, you, you tend in the silence just to allow things to come more alive. You know, we receive these powerful gifts in our baptism and in our confirmation, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But as Father Constant La Mesa, the preacher of the papal household said, most of them are bound. It's like they're, like we never took the plastic wrap off mm. of them. And so it's about unbinding the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. uh, and so wonder and all fear of the Lord, um, courage and, and wisdom and insight, all these things of allowing the Lord to, um, to unbind them in our, our, our lives is really what that five days was about. Mm. So, so how does one do that? You know, I think we just live in an age of such despair, you know, where people are, um, you look at the, the, heroin epidemic and suicides mm -hmm. and shootings and um, how does one who doesn't experience hope or hasn't unbound that yet how can they how can they how, how can they ask God to help them do that or well I think part of it is that you know we we make an act of, uh, faith is believing in the unbelievable Mm -hmm. You know, and hope is hope when it's hopeless. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's about staring into the dark and trusting. But that happens through an actual, not just the gifts that we've given, but the actual utilization of a gift. So if we find ourselves in periods of doubt or despair, that's when we kneel down and we say, I know you are there. I make an act of faith that you love me, that you care mm -hmm. for me, even if I'm not feeling it. Mm -hmm. Ask any married couple that's, that's they've weathered every single storm. It's because they made an act of love when they weren't feeling very lovable or they didn't really feel too lovey about mm -hmm. the other mm -hmm. person. That's how people transgress mm -hmm. it is to make the act even when you don't feel it. Mm -hmm. And also to bring the gift when even if it's not fully alive, it strengthens us when we pass the gift on. It's just what... St. John Paul II called the law of the gift, that love is experienced not when we hold on to it, but when we give it. When faith comes more alive, when we share it, hope is when we bring hope to others. I'll give you an example. So you're talking about all this despair. So I've had, I started a support group here in the parish because we had a bunch of families that lost children, mostly sons. Some were depression, some were uh, Opioids, some were just weird. Their heart stopped. In the mm -hmm. And when I talk to younger priests about this, I always tell them that they can't be afraid to step into somebody else's grief 
most people feel that that would be an intrusion, but it's not. So when you hear the bad news, when I hear the bad news, I go straight to the house because it's as if the people are lost in the darkest, deepest forest and they have no idea how they got there and how to get out. Mm -hmm. And the person of faith, in particular the priest, shows up with the torch yeah. and that's Christ mm -hmm. and says, take my hand, follow this light and we will, it won't be easy, but we will we can get to a place, a clearing. Um, and, and so just being the, the missionary of hope builds up mission, builds up hope in your own life. Mm -hmm. So it's about, uh, it's about stepping off into that darkness, but, but you only do it with the torch, with the light of Christ. Mm -hmm. I like to talk about prayer as personal relationship, you know, relating to God in a personal way. As you think about that yourself, God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, how do you relate to the persons of the Trinity? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, the the the, the starting place is always Jesus because he's the one that's most tangible to me. Mm -hmm. And I can look at a crucifix. I can experience him in the Eucharist. I um, sit before him in the tabernacle. But I realize that that he's always pointing me as he did everything in his entire life to the father. So there it's, it's a, for me, I start with Jesus and I'm drawn into relationship, that relationship and realizing the Holy spirit is just the experience of the, like the, um, dynamic experience of that love. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, so that's, that's for me, it's the starting place is, is always our Lord Jesus mm -hmm. and coming to know him. And in the process, you know, if you've seen me, you've seen the father being drawn into the life of the father. Mm -hmm. What's the father like? Well, <clears throat> it's interesting because, I mean, as I think one of the great struggles for people is that I've seen time and time again where people who have difficult relationships with their father mm -hmm. have a very hard time relating to just in God in general. And so, uh, so when we, when we, we can enter into it with, with our own filters that eventually have to fall away. Uh, even if you had the most magnificent father, um, that it's still, God is not your dad, your own personal dad. Mm -hmm. uh, he is uh, the source of all. Uh, I, for me, the the most um, the most telling parable in coming to understand the father is the prodigal son, mm -hmm. of course, or the lost son, and to realize the fatherly love. You know, the, as the the father is running to the son. First of all, it's so countercultural and counterintuitive. A chieftain would never run to the lost son. He would wait for the son to come to him, which is sort of the dignity of the. And yet he he throws away all that what a pre people's preconceived notion, and he runs to him. And I think it's overwhelming if you stop to imagine the one who created everything desiring me in that same way mm -hmm. and sending his son 
uh, is the son to find me, to carry me to him. It's, 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 uh, it's beyond words. And it is the, uh, but therein lies the source of who we are. Our identity as children of God. <coughs> he would, it would seem like, you know, that when he says, I no longer want to be called your son, treat me as you would one of your hired hands. In that moment, you'd expect the father to say, yeah, you're going to work this dead off. We're going to start, even though you said I was dead and wanted my inheritance. But the father doesn't, he doesn't even ignore that. He ignores that. Because it's not, sin is not who we are, it's who we're not. And he says, get the ring, get the cloak, get the calf. My son is back, that restoring of the sonship back uh, and recognizing that we're all being called into that intimacy that is healing at every level of our being in terms of as a son or daughter of God, as one worthy of or unworthy of it, but still receiving the grace of the only begotten Son of God dying for me. <coughs> Excuse me. And who have been some of your, you mentioned your spiritual director, but who have been some of the people over your lifespan that have kind of been guides or given you direction or maybe helped you see and experience God? Um. Golly, that's a pretty long list uh, because, it, I mean, it, my, my mother, my father, my parents, my friends, I, I, in a way I'd have to say uh, that would be everybody I've met, even people that were like, I had a, a, someone I knew in the, uh, when I was years ago at a chaplain and, uh, and for whatever reason, they just, didn't like me, mm -hmm. and I, I and had and made it known to me personally. And uh, I remember after a very sort of odd and painful experience of this person taking it to prayer, and the Lord says, "Love your enemies and, and or love people who hate you." And I remember taking that to prayer and being like, "Wait a second, I can't." do that unless somebody hates me. <laughs> so thank God for this lady. You know, mm -hmm. she's allowing me to try and to do the impossible and to will her good even though she does not for me. Mm -hmm. And and so um, I have had, you know, great priest friends, friends I've had um, since boyhood that I are constantly part of my life and so I feel overwhelmingly blessed to to have people that um, show me the face of Christ you know I have uh, priest friends that I get to on my day off and and over a scotch at the end of the day we, we're still talking about our relationship with the Lord and uh, you know we're not just talking about the lady the golf game we played but and so uh, I think it's it's about, but we did talk about the golf, but it, but it's about essentially, um, I think, not being afraid to 
be a disciple with other disciples. Mm -hmm. And if we can have that kind of dialogue and conversation, then it helps us along. Just like I said, you share faith, you grow faith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I just feel a, it's been wonderful talking to you because of the sense of hope that mm -hmm. you, you do have that, that, that precious gift. Um, so for people that are new in their prayer life, just starting to, to want to pray, maybe listening to this right now, can you give them any practical advice? Absolutely. So I think the thing is, is um, it, it's, I would say the one thing you got to do is just carve out a little time. Mm -hmm. Start with whatever's comfortable. It's five minutes, 10 minutes, you know, and you just imagine this. So let's say, um, let's say I, I introduce you to someone you didn't know. I'm like, Father Michael, this is Joe. And you said, okay, we're going to make a deal that we're going to talk for 10 minutes a day on the telephone or in person, wherever we are. On the average, five minutes, Father Michael will talk. Five minutes, mm -hmm. he'll listen. Mm -hmm. A year from now, you and Joe are going to be pretty, know a lot about each other. And the likelihood is you're probably going to be friends. Mm -hmm. So it's 10 minutes a day, five minutes of talking. I like that. Five yeah, minutes uh -huh. of being quiet. <laughs> You know, when I say being quiet, I mean reading the, the scriptures slowly. You can either start at the beginning of the gospel uh, or do the readings of the day according to the mass schedule. Um, and when you talk something, and I usually, when I mean talk, I, I usually sit down in the beginning of my prayer time and I say, okay, Lord, let me figure out where I am. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, what am I feeling? Am I feeling happy? Am I feeling kind of discouraged? Am I feeling, what, where am I? Because I need to invite you into that. Yeah. But if we don't acknowledge where we are, um, and then if there's anything particularly on my heart that's heavy, then I say, okay, Lord, this is something I want to bring to you. And then to move into some kind of spiritual reading and just taking your time, the gospel is by far the best, and just seeing what happens. And some days... Um, you know, it's just like in any conversation, you're talking with Joe and someday Joe's going to have a big crisis at work and you're going to hear about that. And some days it's like, well, not much happened, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's not all, not every day, um, is it, uh, is it lights and magic. But one of the things that happens if you, if, <clears throat> if you have a friend that you talk to every day, it's more, it's easier to talk to that person. You say, oh, how did that thing go yesterday? Mm -hmm. Or this thing go yesterday? Whereas if you run into the friend, like let's say you had a, somebody that you were close with and you hadn't seen them for five months, six months, and it's kind of awkward. Mm -hmm. And you don't know. You don't know the details of their life to ask about, you know? And um, I remember running into someone that I knew from high school and... I said to her, I said, oh, my gosh. And this is the one time you learn a lesson and you keep your mouth shut. I said, when's the baby due? And she said, two months ago. Mm. And I was like, ooh, okay, sorry. But uh, she had, had the baby and just had not been great. Yeah. And so, I, but it's one of those things where it's like I turn bright red. I'm pretty bright red all the time anyway. And I turned even brighter red. And uh, it was sort of like that awkward moment but it, that's what happens when you don't talk to people mm -hmm. you know you don't know they had a baby mm -hmm. <laughs> and so it is with our lord you know it's like 
if you talk every day, it's much easier to talk every day. Yeah, yeah. And I love uh, it's so practical to pick a time, 10 minutes or something like that to start off with and spend half the time talking and then half the time listening. Mm. Um, I also think it's a good idea to keep, I keep one of those like composition, the marbleized composition notebooks that you used in whatever, high school or college. Mm -hmm. And I keep that with me. So if there's a quote that comes out, I write it down. If there's some kind of word that I feel is spoken to me, I write it down. And in isolation, none of them seem, but when you actually have sort of in the aggregate, when you read through a whole bunch of things, you start to see sort of like Hansel and Gretel, like little stones on the path mm -hmm. that the Lord is, can be directing you mm -hmm. that you might not realize where he's calling you to trust him or mm -hmm. because these certain lines are jumping out. Yeah. 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 When I, um, I'll often hear from people that, when they, they talk about their prayer life that they, oh, I talk to God all the time, you know, and then I'll, I'll ask them, you know, do you, do you listen or do you hear him? And a lot of times there'll be like a, you know, yeah. a look on their face like, well, no, I mean, am I supposed, is he supposed to talk to yeah, me? Yeah. Um, what would be your encouragement for someone that doesn't, they, they don't feel like they hear the voice of God or right. they feel stuck in prayer. Or maybe or, not recognizing it as such. So one of the things that, um, and this isn't me, this is St. Ignatius with Loyola, he wouldn't use these language, but you know, each of us has a, one of those seismographic needles like for earthquakes, where there's an earthquake and all of a sudden it goes wah, wah, it goes mm -hmm. farther on either side and you can tell how big of an earthquake it was. Well, I think we've got one of those needles running in our hearts and when it jumps either to the happy or to the sad, that's often an indication of something the Lord's saying to you. Mm. So you, if the needle jumps, and you might not have the time to pick it apart. For example, if you're reading an article in, the, in a magazine in the dentist office and something jumps out at you, well, write it down and then take it to prayer later. Mm. And it can be, I've read Vanity Fair in the you know, in the barbershop and be like, oh, and it's a totally different article on something completely different, some screwed up star's life or something mm -hmm. like that. And, but something will jump out at me and then I, I write it down uh, or put it in my phone and then I take it to prayer. I'm like, what did that? And the Lord's like, well, maybe, maybe something reflective in that, that, that pinged you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so those little pings are worth listening to and then taking them back. Good, yeah, so just a daily... Day, your daily experiences, mm -hmm. being aware of that, and then right. taking that to your to your time of prayer. Well, thank you so much for spending time with me and for our listeners as well. Sure. Uh, what bless. I'd like to do is just end with actually, if you could bless our listeners and just ask God, ask the Holy Spirit to to give them that increase in in the life of prayer. All right. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father, you are are always so generous and we stand in awe and wonder at uh, your love, your love that was so profound that you sent your only begotten son to find us, to draw us into your eternal life in a spirit of love, a Holy Spirit of love. So send that spirit upon all who are listening to these words, open their hearts to and un leash for them the, the gifts of faith, hope, and love that you gave them in their baptism, the power of the, the gifts of the Spirit, 
most especially the gift of awe and wonder at your majesty and help us to, to see how you are playing your sweet music for us at each moment uh, and give us the ears to hear it and the, the voice to speak it so that we may always give glory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And Amen. Father God bless you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. You're welcome.